I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. On today's episode, I am connecting with Jim Morris, President CEO at Greater Indianapolis Habitat for Humanity. Jim has a passion for growing organizations through an entrepreneurial spirit, visionary outlook, and outcomes-based strategic planning. He has 29 years of experience in both the profit and nonprofit sectors, serving in a variety of executive positions. Jim has a gift for finding resources to deliver results and has raised millions from grants, sponsorships, and individual donors. He embraces an abundance mentality and fosters a spirit of optimizing outcomes through shared vision and collaboration. Early in his career, he recognized a great passion for missional work and followed the yearning he felt with a lot of learning along the way. The story that Jim highlights today is a valuable example of the fact that failure is where you grow. Check it out. My journey would definitely not be linear. It was uh, one in which I actually graduated as an undergrad in journalism. And upon graduation, realized, you know, that's not exactly what I want to do. Uh, I learned a lot and appreciated the uh, education, which it, you know leans towards a liberal arts kind of education in journalism. And so I, I was sort of in this place of now what? Uh, and... Uh, Mom and dad were kind of like, yes, now what? Uh, you just <laughs> went through four years of college. And so I, you know, I kind of landed in this space of not knowing exactly what was next. I was actually invited to uh, come into the residential building and development industry, uh, right, really through sales. And uh, so I took it uh, at, you know, age 23, you, uh, you need to find work uh, <laughs> after uh, graduating. So I, I jumped in. And I was not somebody who was naturally inclined uh, to know and be a salesperson per se, but the training actually was incredibly valuable uh, around the sales process. And I learned and understood uh, just what that meant. uh, And that essentially in any role uh, you're selling, not only yourself, but you're, you're selling. And so it was a great foundational uh, training for me to, to move forward. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I had never been introduced to residential building and construction. Uh, you definitely didn't want me building your house uh, with my lack of skill set. But I uh, really grew a passion for helping guide uh, families, particularly young families, through that process of purchasing their, their first home. There was something in there and that teaching and training and guiding so that they would be successful that uh, there was a seed plant there and that obviously come full circle in the role that I'm in now, exercising what we do with our mission has really in looking back when you can look back to your journey and see that that was an vital time for me to learn about that and to understand that this was something I actually had a passion for. Uh, And I, I, there was always a yearning that I had had inside to answer the so the question that I wanted to do something that was a little more missional based, uh, I had been in residential building and construction in the profit world and uh, built and worked in homes that were a million to five million 
and and uh, it wasn't quite what really uh, made me come alive. And so moving to a missional based uh, approach and and learning that that's really where my passion lie was part of that journey. So I I moved into the nonprofit sector. I actually did not start uh, with Habitat for Humanity. I started in uh, arts and culture uh, and uh, economic development uh, as a part of my intro into nonprofit. Uh, so I've got a, a more comprehensive experience in nonprofit. But uh, where I am now really brings together uh, both my passion uh, for guiding families into successful home ownership uh, and really helping fulfill the, the missional desire that I have inside. How did you come to realize that passion? Boy, you know, in describing, I, there was just an emptiness that, that wasn't being answered for me internally. Uh, it lingered. I almost at early on in my mid-20s didn't know what it was. Uh, and early, I often, uh, that non-linear path that I described, it actually, uh, it sort of, I was comparing myself to peers, uh, to friends who were on a more linear path and were becoming what I considered more successful early in their careers. And that that yearning inside me that I didn't quite understand was guided by connecting with a mentor uh, and that mentor helping to call that out in me that uh, maybe my path would be a little different and to accept that this is a journey that you're on and uh, comparing. So he helped me guide this, comparing to others and focusing on answering what was inside me. So what did you do with that when you came to recognize that, oh, I've got a passion here, a yearning that's not being fulfilled. Yeah, the first thing I did is jumped on a board. I had never participated uh, in the nonprofit sector at all at that point. And so I, uh, I uh, started by serving on a board. Uh, this was an arts and cultural organization. Uh, lived in Orlando at the time. Indiana born, but we had moved to Orlando for my wife's work, actually. And uh, so I served on this board and it was a, an opening to understanding that world and in so much as uh, kind of a training ground and that particular organization, their executive director took another position and the board actually turned to me and asked me if I wanted the role. And so that was my first entry point into uh, leading as a small uh, nonprofit in terms of budget size, but it was making a big impact in uh, arts and culture and economic development in Orlando. and. So I jumped at the chance. I was uh, 32 years old and had no idea what I was doing in terms of leading, but had been given this privilege to figure it out. And when I look back, that that's a really big privilege to have been given this leadership mantle and at the same time not had that experience and uh, being given the freedom to figure it out. And uh, I, I dove in just incredibly with a lot of energy to, uh, I had, my learning curve was pretty steep, uh, but I took classes, I read, I, I dove in to train myself professionally on what it would take to be a good leader in that, in that space. Yeah. So let's break this down because this is, this is really interesting. You, so you were on this nonlinear path, not feeling fulfilled, recognized a yearning inside of you. So you reached out to others through a mentor who really helped you shape what you are passionate about. You made the decision to jump on a board. 
which also took some courage, didn't it? I mean, that no doubt pushed you out of your comfort zone in a way because that was new. That was your entry point into the nonprofit world. And you said, I had no idea what I was doing. I love the, I just love the courageous spirit though in following your passion, not knowing where it would lead you, but the opportunity that came from that was incredible. Yeah, the the fact too that I had no, understand I had no arts uh, training whatsoever. I have a, uh, a wife who's incredibly uh, gifted artistically and we both appreciate the uh, arts and especially the role that the arts play in our in uh, community. And yet I had no uh, experience fully, uh, but I had a real, uh, you know, the passion for the people, the artists themselves, the, even though I didn't consider myself an artist, I was welcomed into this space to, uh, you know, support and to guide. And again, that training aspect of of not only for my own self, uh, but, you know, I, I was allowed to uh, ultimately figure it out by making some mistakes uh, as a leader at that time and, you know, learning from those and, and helping guide the organization through those. So, yes, it was uh, something that uh, at the time I was even asking, okay, is this, is this me or is this? So it was uh, answering that um, and stepping into that role uh, was really a catalyst uh, to everything that moved forward from there. Yeah, adversity introduces us to ourselves. And so you were no doubt through those challenges, you were learning all kinds of things about yourself. The learning about yourself at the same time, understanding and being opened uh, for the first time to answering that yearning that was inside and realizing that, hey, this is this fits. Uh, this definitely fits in many ways. And yet, uh, having, you know, at 32, 33 years old, uh, having a ton to figure out in terms of how do I get better at this? How do I do this uh, well on behalf of those that we're serving? Uh, that, that particular part of also excited me in trying to uh, just get better at it. Yeah, and to grow through it. So you said that you, you figured it out by making a lot of mistakes, as we all do. And I know that that's, that's something that, that you highlight as an important part of your leadership journey is just how much you have grown through, as you reflect back now through what you consider some failures and some challenging moments. And I know there's one situation in particular, Jim, that really taught you a lot about your leadership and who you are. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, while I was in this role as executive director uh, for the arts organization in Orlando, there's a college that's uh, called Rollins, similar in size to, say, Butler here locally, and they offered a uh, full-ride scholarship for their executive MBA program, and uh, that really piqued my interest. I was uh, wanting, that was, for me, uh, the quantitative skills, the understanding how to better run an organization. And uh, I saw that as just a key opportunity for me uh, to to excel in a new way. So I applied for that uh, scholarship and I was quite confident that uh, even though I'm, I wouldn't consider myself the smartest person in the room when it comes to uh, understanding the, the business practices that uh, you'd be trained in in an MBA, uh, I felt like I had a, a strong position uh, they had actually never provided that scholarship for an arts and cultural uh, nonprofit executive, uh, but I didn't. I didn't get it. So there was a nice humbling moment there, 
that uh, transpired and you could reapply uh, the following year. There was no limit to how many times you could apply. And uh, I, you know, I thought, okay, I need to, I need to do this again. I need to apply. I didn't really put a ton of effort into it though. In the second uh, application, I felt like I think I was still carrying some of the uh, woe is me. I should have gotten it the first time and uh, it didn't get it again. Uh, so uh, they gave it to another uh, executive who I thought, uh, wow, I, I feel comparable to that leader. Why, why was I not chosen? Uh, in the, it came around again in, in this third time. I, I really felt like I need to exercise what I, my strengths are. I need to do what I know I do best. And, and that's, that's building relationships. That's, uh, that's connecting to people. And so I just went into the admin office and said, uh, this is something I really want to do. What will it take for me to do it? And uh, I remember being encouraged that you need to show them that you want it and you need to show them why you think it's important to you. And so the actual judges, if you will, or those who actually uh, critiqued the applications for approval were past recipients of the scholarship. And so there were probably... I don't know, 15 to 20 past recipients. And I reached out to all of them uh, in some capacity uh, back then. And I uh, called them. I set up uh, some coffee with uh, probably a half dozen of them and asked them questions. I pressed in on uh, the fact that not only did I want this scholarship, but I wanted to understand what it was like. And I, I did an inquiry-based conversation with each of them to try to explore what would I be getting into if I were, you know, been given this uh, great opportunity. And uh, in all of those efforts, I just wanted to make sure that I exhausted everything I knew well to do. And I did end up getting the scholarship after that third try, the adage of, uh, you know, third time's a charm actually played out. But uh, that in and of itself for me was, you know, hard work is, is often time expressed, you know, work hard, work hard. And uh, the fruit will be seen from that work. So that moment really proved that to be true. Uh, but it also validated that really being who you are and exercising those strengths, even when you may not um, feel like you've got maybe the you know strengths in areas that uh, you feel like you want to uh, grow in, but exercise the ones you have. And it proved uh, well for me. I was in a class of other professionals uh, that, uh, you know, it was a two-year program. And I, I learned a tremendous amount from being with other peers. I was the only nonprofit executive amongst probably 30 people that, uh, you know, whose average age at that time, I was 39 years old. Uh, and so it was about that, that age group of professionals. And so it was, it was a, you know, it was a big leap for me to dive in. And I felt... You know, fairly overwhelmed uh, initially because I was taking in, particularly on the quantitative side of learning, and uh, yet it was incredibly helpful to uh, to me uh, in learning uh, how how to improve and, and do what I do better. Yeah, so an important important part of your journey in the just the education and the relationships you built. So I, I get why it was so important to you. You know, I, I want to go back to the uh, the second time you applied. Because you said something really interesting. You said you were still caring, so you didn't get it first time you applied. And then the second time it came around, you were still carrying this woe is me 
Like what, what was it that you think most impacted your not getting selected that second time? You know, I think a little bit, I, you know, if I was, uh, if I was on the outside, one of the uh, assessment, <laughs> those who were actually critiquing, there was just minimal effort. I didn't, I didn't put in that uh, full effort and I knew it. I, I knew I sort of just dialed it in a little bit and sent in the application because I didn't, I didn't want to miss not applying, but I knew in my own heart that I didn't, I didn't put a full effort in. And so did you expect to get the scholarship that? No, no, no you did no, not I expect, expect it. to get it. No, in the end, I turned, I can remember turning it in and thinking this was a wasted effort. Uh, I think it, it, it fulfilled the, you, you put in the application, you showed you came back a second year uh, to do this, but it wasn't, it wasn't a full out effort. And, and that, in that, that humbling moment in that first year when I thought, oh, this is something that I should be able to obtain. Uh, also, I think, you know, I didn't, I don't know if it was, uh, you'd exactly call it grieving <laughs> necessarily, but it was a, that, that humility side played itself out that in that second application, it just, it was a half-hearted effort. And I also learned from that as well, that, uh, yes, you can, you know, take some lumps, uh, but moving on to understanding that it's going to happen. You're going to actually be able to get back up and uh, learning about how you handle failure in that moment. Uh, I'm very thankful for that second application, quite frankly. That lack of effort that I put in showed me, hey, when you exhaust yourself, even if I hadn't gotten the scholarship, I would have been satisfied. Uh, it, not obviously in the same way uh, that I was by earning that scholarship, but I knew that I put in everything I had and being satisfied with that kind of effort uh, was something I learned out of that exercise as well. Yeah, of course, because then it's, it's much more meaningful. It's a much more meaningful accomplishment. Well, and you said earlier, you said that third time you leveraged your strengths. You most definitely did not do that the second time because you were just going through the motions. So yeah, so then you get the the acknowledgement after leveraging your strengths and putting yourself into it. Gosh, that's that. I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, that's the real value of working through challenges. That's really it's such a great story. Did you recognize when you were having those meetings? Let's talk a little bit about that. You reached out to all of them, and you said you had the the third time you applied. You reached out to the people that ultimately were making the decision because you wanted them to know how important this was to you, that this was something that you really wanted. Did you know when you were meeting with them, did you expect the outcome that you would get the scholarship? Like, what were you thinking through that process? I think it it started to reveal itself as I started to have these conversations because uh, I was learning about what efforts they put in, what they uh, took away from obtaining their MBA in the executive program. How did it impact their work in the nonprofit sector? All of these things, I was I was in learning mode. So I was I actually sort of did not. I was taking the focus somewhat off of me. Uh, I I went into this space of real learning, and so I was gaining knowledge and this wisdom really from these past recipients that was going to be beneficial either way, but it was probably halfway through. I might've been third or fourth 
meeting that I started to understand, well, I'm, this is me. They are, I am actually uh, in a space that I know. Uh, so the confidence was definitely there and they were getting to know me and the passion and they understood that I was going to take this and truly use it for the benefit of whatever mission I was in. So, yeah, I think being able to share me essentially and was really part of that process that uh, catapulted and really took off. Yeah. And again, such a different approach from the second time you applied, right? This time, like you wanted to learn, you wanted to grow, you wanted to understand and no doubt that that shined through. Did you hear after you were given the scholarship, did you hear from many of them like, about your approach and the impact that it had? Yeah, and both from the admissions uh, person who I credit for the encouragement, quite frankly, said, yeah, they all, they knew you did exactly uh, what you said you were going to do. And they, they, there was a, uh, a collective sort of uh, great job. We know you're going to do well by it uh, kind of moment as well. So all of it sort of, you know, came together in a, in a very nice moment for me in that part of my journey. Yeah, it's such a good reminder of the spirit in which you're showing up and what you're bringing to a situation or a circumstance. This is something that you wanted. You went for it. You didn't get the scholarship. So you were a bit bitter about that. That showed up then in the second time you applied. And then you decided to take a different approach, right? You you leaned into really what you wanted to get out of it, which was learning and that drove your approach the third time. So then not surprisingly, like the came around. Yeah. And, and even uh, that carried me forward into the, cause it's a lot. I mean, I was working a full-time job uh, when I started, uh, it was an August start, I believe. And, you know, I had, we just had our, my uh, daughter who was only three months old at the time. So she was our second. So we were, you know, in this space and then I had to go to school <laughs> at the same time. So it really provided the energy for me to do this well and to uh, not just for myself. I felt a part of this sort of collegial group of past recipients that I needed to honor uh, their belief in me. So I needed to make sure that I gave everything I had into that effort as well, because I didn't want this to be a letdown, not only for myself, my family, but also for this group that uh, believed in me. Yeah, there's a, there's a, such a good connection here between following your passion, like showing up with a spirit of learning and openness, and then when it doesn't go so well, like really looking at what you can learn and showing up differently. Like that's that's what you've modeled throughout this experience that you just shared throughout your journey. You talked earlier about the recognizing the yearning. You said that a couple of times and, you know, everyone can relate to that, right? And I think there are a lot of emerging leaders that are on a linear path that feel that yearning that you described. You know, you, you recognized that and had a mentor, fortunately, that was able to help you talk through that and think through that. What advice would you give to emerging leaders who are in a role that isn't quite fulfilling and that are feeling that yearning that you described? What do you think are some good steps? Well, I think uh, self-reflection is important first. Uh, understanding, trying to dig a little deeper into where that's coming from. It may be that, you know, in my case, it was because I needed to be more missionally focused 
as a primary part of my professional role. That may not necessarily be the yearning, but you know something's in there that uh, needs a question answered. So pressing in, and there are plenty of tools out there to self-reflect on uh, a little bit of more of the who am I, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, it seems like, you know, you can do Myers-Briggs, you can do DISC, you can, you know, Finder, you can, the Enneagram's popular, you know, there's all of these different tools out there to just get a better sense of who you are so you can dig deep into the question. Uh, and then I think uh, pursuing a mentor, somebody whose voice has experience uh, is incredibly valuable so that you've done the self-reflection, but you can have an outsider, somebody who's looking at you and uh, cares about your interests, who can listen and uh, reflect back on what they see as well, because you need that as part of that exploration really uh, was incredibly uh, valuable and still is today. I still retain somebody that I go to now, uh, as I believe it's incredibly powerful uh, in our uh, continual space of, of learning that uh, it's very valuable in that space. So those two things I think are primary. You know, if part of the yearning is specific to the work itself, I'm in work, I'm in a sector I may, that I don't particularly appreciate uh, exploring, obviously, other industries. And what I found, particularly Indianapolis, I think is just fantastic for this, is uh, people want to talk and engage with each other. And they're welcoming and they're open to this inquiry-based kind of conversation. If you've got specific yearnings or questions for those who are already in that industry, reaching out and, and when your heart is about learning, people are very open to teaching and talking about what they do and, and uh, providing guidance or providing other, other ways for you to explore that. Yeah, people want to help. They want to help and lift people up. Yeah, so really good takeaways self-reflection, having trusted advisors that can help you talk through how best to use your strengths and follow your passion. Really great takeaways. Jim Morris, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. I appreciate this. This was fantastic. I appreciate uh, you inviting me in. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Email is uh, always something that I uh, respond to. So that's uh, J Morris at indyindyhabitat.org. Great. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.